James chapter 1. I'm thankful that that can be the prayer of each of us, that God would fill up our cup tonight. And, and He has much more in store. It's one of the blessings of our God is that he's always, He always has more in store. No matter how much you've enjoyed, no matter how much uh, He has given, He has more in store. And His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. And the song service has been a blessing. It's been a blessing being here today. And um, I'm glad for the, the setting of this and what you have as an opportunity to watch God work in your life. And, and I, I hope you're here with anticipation. I, I really do. I, I trust you're here wanting to lift your cup up to God for Him to fill it because God wants to do it. God wants to meet with us. And as Pastor mentioned, He's concerned about you individually. He's concerned about me. He's concerned about each of us. He doesn't want to pass us by. That's not what He wants to do. And so let us uh, anticipate, see what God's going to do. Let's invite Him and be um, having a, an anticipation. I mentioned this morning, uh, looking at just a mindset. I believe this matter of discipleship, walking with God, it's not a class Though it may be a class you take, it's not a book, though it might be a book you read, but it's a life. It's a life of following Him. It's a life, as we sung about tonight, it's embracing Him. And there's mindsets. Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And, and so what, what I believe James and Paul, and we're looking at James here, they're trying to get us away from this checklist mindset. Just have these things I'm going to check off. And what happens is we sometimes will, will trade churches, trade circles that we're in. And we're just trading rules, a different list. Uh, this group has this, this list of things. And, and we just take lists and we're, we're just checking them off. Well, it's not a list we check off. It's a mindset. It's, it's who he is that we are following. It's, it's the life of Christ, not the list from Christ. In his life, it entails some things. He gives us his mind and his opinion about things, but it's a life that he wants us to live. And we looked at this morning the, the mind, the right mindset concerning stress and pressure. We mentioned everybody's going to have stress. Everyone has pressure coming out of the, the Christmas season. Um, some come out of it with a lot of stress. Stress because you are more concerned perhaps about uh, what you spent versus how you spent those days. Stress for some because of family coming over. It took you six months to get the house ready. And it'll take you six months to recover. It's, uh, it's stressful. Um, but James is telling us how we could handle that. There is a way to look at it and to understand and recognize that when stress and problems come into our life, God's going to use that. He's going to use it so that he can uh, produce a, an endurance, a steadfastness. And that's what he tells us there in verse number 2 um, of James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. All kinds of different problems. But rather than running from the problems and stress, we can rejoice when facing the problems and stress, because knowing this, that the trying of your faith that worketh patience, a staying under power, so that we don't have to bail out. If we're going to abound, we're going to have to be steadfast and unmovable, meaning we're going to, we're going to have to do a lot of things we may not want to do a lot longer than we would like to do them. But we're going to have to have some power and God's going to produce that. But these problems and trials and stress is not in itself just to create more power in our life, but it's to transform us because he goes on to tell us that, but let patience in verse 4 have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. So while the problems come and the trials come, we can rejoice rather than run from them because he's going to create some endurance in our life. And over a period of time, that endurance in our life, cooperating with God, is designed to transform our lives so that we can be effective disciples. He's speaking to those who are scattered. He's not speaking tonight to any of us that he is sheltering. 
not from problems, not from stress, not from trials. You say, how are we going to be able to be successful? Well, he told us in verse 5, you lack wisdom, turn to God. Aren't you glad we can turn to him? You don't have to wait till 7 o'clock church to do so. You can turn to God. If you lack wisdom, he says, let, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. In other words, God's not going to get on to you. Your loving Father, he's, he's not going to roll his eyes when you ask him. He, he's, he's waiting for us to come to him and ask. And he says, and it shall be given him. God wants to meet with us tonight. He wants to give us what you need. He wants to fill up your cup. But he goes on to say, but let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed and for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Again, here's a mindset concerning stress and problems and trials. And then he goes on in verse number 9. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the Grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. But I want us to look tonight at the next verse. Verse 13, 14, 15, and 16. He's been dealing with the temptation in those first 12 verses. And then he mentions it again in verse number 13. Let's do this. Let's go ahead and stand, if we could, please. Let's read these to be our text tonight. James says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. We saw this morning and these first few verses we need, if we're going to have our faith developed and maturity in the Christian life, which James is a great manual on maturity, if we're going to see maturity come to our life instead of infancy and, and, and spiritual uh, um, deficiency. We have to have a right mindset about the problems and the trials and the stress. But he mentions temptation again as you have gone through this, you know. Here he's talking about a different kind of temptation. He's talking about here the solicitation to sin, to do evil. He's talking about sin. If we don't have the right mindset about sin, we're not going to see growth and spiritual growth. You may get a number of years under your belt, but you're not going to have that abundant, qualitative kind of life that God designs for us to have. This evening, I want to preach on that thought. The right mindset concerning sin. The right mindset concerning sin or, subtitle, don't lose your intimacy with Jesus. Don't lose your intimacy with Jesus. Thank you. Please be seated. Why does James connect the two? Why the relationship here between testings Problems and trials, the stress that comes from those kinds of things and the dealing with temptation, this solicitation to evil. Why does he put these together? And I believe it's because of this. Simply, if we're not careful, the testings that we go through on the outside, whether it be a sickness or the schedule that we're facing or physical difficulty, whatever that might be that's causing a little bit of stress and, and anxiety, we would like to run from it and change it and, and wish it wasn't there. 
Instead of rejoicing when we get out of it, James says you can rejoice when you experience it because God has a plan for it. But if we don't learn how to respond and have the right mindset towards the trials and the troubles and the pressures and the stress, then the testing on the outside can very well turn into temptation on the inside. See, when our circumstances are difficult, we may find ourselves complaining against God. You may find yourself questioning whether or not God loves you. You know he loves, but you think he loves somebody else more than he loves you when your circumstance is difficult. When your circumstance is not what you would like for it to be, you find yourself much readily willing to resist, surrender, and his will. And at this very point, at this very moment in time, is when Satan provides us with an opportunity to escape after all. If you don't have the right mindset concerning trials and stress and problems, you're looking for a way to escape rather than embrace it and rejoice so you can experience endurance. And Satan will provide you with an opportunity to escape the difficulty. But that opportunity is called a temptation. The temptation here that James refers to in verse 13 is an allurement to evil, sin. One of the things that James says in verse 13 is, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. If we're going to think right about sin, we're going to understand what it is that's going to hurt and when we miss the opportunity to rejoice and pass God's class of trials, if we miss that, we're going to encounter some solicitation on the inside, some uh, allurement to things that are going to take us away from God and His work and His power. And one of the things James says is, stop blaming. When you find yourself blaming others and circumstances and people and excusing your situation and why it is you could indulge yourself in a particular sin, you start blaming. I was doing fine until I went home on Christmas break. You know, my, my, my family, they just don't know theology like the professors do here. And it just wasn't a good atmosphere. God says, stop blaming. He says in verse 13, Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any, uh, tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Stop blaming God. Stop blaming somebody else. Take responsibility for where James says it goes. And it's because of sin, uh, because of self that sin is embraced. No one made you, not even the devil makes you do it. But we're not going to have the right mindset concerning that which put Jesus on the cross until we understand we're not allowed to blame. It didn't go well in the very beginning with the first human beings. God in a perfect environment. And gave them a wonderful setting so they could enjoy fellowship with him. And Satan did get involved. And Satan used an allurement and, and, and baited them. And, and Eve was deceived. And Eve was deceived, however, because Adam didn't lead. And God comes along, Adam, where are you? It's interesting that Adam was the one that was told not to eat of the fruit of the tree. Not Eve. God gave Adam that charge before Eve came along. It was Adam's responsibility to communicate to his wife and family, this is what God says. And there's no excuse for stepping outside of the boundaries. You sit here, many of you young men, you're not married. You may dream of it, but you're not married. But the fact is, if you're going to lead then, you're going to have to learn how to follow God's leadership now. And God speaks and God sets a boundary. And if at certain times of vulnerability or certain times of weakness, you begin to excuse, this is how I grew up and this is what I'm struggling with. This is, God's not answered my prayer. God hasn't done this. And you're going to start blaming. But the fact is, God 
cannot cause you to sin. We're told that clearly. The devil does not make you sin. So stop blaming others for your sin. Stop blame shifting. It's my work. It's my job. Your job can't make you sin. Well, it's because of the preacher let me down. The preacher can't make you sin. James clearly tells us every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So stop blaming. What do I do? Take responsibility. The source of temptation is from within a person, our own evil desire, our own lust, our own inner craving. It's our own heart. The condition of our heart. The Bible puts an emphasis on it. You know, a person doesn't get saved without having the right attitude of their heart. Romans chapter number 10, verse number 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Within the recesses of our heart is where we determine sin is our problem, hell's the consequence, but Jesus is the answer. I don't want my sin. I don't want to go to hell. I need Jesus. But it doesn't end when a person gets saved. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, keep or protect your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it are the issues of life. Daniel 1 and verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Why? Because it is a big deal and the battle is raging within the heart. Matthew 12.34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 3, Peter asked Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. The condition of our heart's a big deal. It does matter. The Bible tells us here in verse number 15, that when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth and it always brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren, you know what James is saying, I believe, in verse 16? He's saying, stop being tricked. Stop allowing yourselves to be deceived and tricked about sin. This matter of getting into sin can be deceitful. Stop, stop allowing yourself. You have the Spirit of God. You have the Word of God. And you have no excuse. Stop allowing yourselves to be tricked as to why you're falling. He gives us here the genealogy of sin. He gives us the steps and temptation. And the same way a pregnancy doesn't just happen, sin doesn't just happen either. Separation or, or a ruptured relationship in your fellowship with God, it doesn't just happen. Zodiati says on this verse, verse 15, then the desire of the soul having conceived gives birth to sin. And the sin having been completed brings forth death. Kenneth Lewis put it this way. Then when the craving for sin has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And this sin, when it is full grown, it brings forth death. And so it begins with lust, a desire. The word lust means any kind of a desire. And it's not necessarily a sexual passion. God is not the cause of our temptation, but we're tempted when we're drawn away. Bait, um, the bait attracts somebody, but it also can distract us. A person sees the bait, you see that, that looks good, and it appeals to you because you're not running, you're not in step with God, experiencing the endurance to, to stay under that trial. You, you've gone through it as long as you feel like you should be going through it. And you begin to, to look for a, a way to uh, just gratify self a little bit. Just give yourself a little bit of a breather. Enjoy life just for a moment. After all, why shouldn't you be happy? And the devil says, that's all I need to work with. That'll work for me, Satan says. And he can lay something out and that looks so good. And what attracts you by the bait will distract you from its consequences. I don't think Lot would have gone to Sodom. I don't. Had he seen his daughters, what would have happened to his own children 
Oh, it's a good move. We're going to make a move. We're going to move across country. It's going to be good, good for our family. I remember uh, there the uh, children of Israel trying to get them to go into the promised land. They're at Kadesh Barnea. And Moses and um, Aaron, rather, and Joshua, or Caleb and Joshua, rather, saying, we need to go. It's God's will. And yet the, the men, the Bible says in Numbers 14, the men that went up with him, uh, they're, they're saying, I think it's better for our wife and our children if we go back into Egypt. What about Egypt is better for your family? And by the way, Egypt, Sodom, the prodigal son, the far country, that's not a place you're going to find on the map. That's a place that you'll find in your heart, sitting right where you are in one of the greatest churches in America. You can find yourself going back into Egypt because you say it's better for my family. You can find yourself going into Sodom because it looks good. You see the well-watered plains. You find yourself going into the far country like the prodigal far country without ever taking a step physically. It's a decision. Within your heart. David looked on his neighbor's wife. He saw she was beautiful. But he didn't see the death of the baby. The murder that he would commit. The violation of a daughter. The bait keeps us from seeing the consequences of sin. I'm telling you, we're not going to mature in our spiritual walk with God. We're not going to experience what, what James is saying that God wants to do in our life by providing us this manual for maturity if we don't think right about sin. Not only is there the desire, the lust, but then it leads to a disobedience. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth, what's the word? All right, thank you for you three there. Let's try everyone else here. I'll start all over if I have to. I, I don't have anything else to do. All right. It's cold. You ain't going anywhere either. So um, you just barely made it in here. Let's look at it again. Verse number uh, 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth. What is sin? It's the breaking of the law. It's just sheer disobedience. It started with a desire. And it leads to disobedience. And what does disobedience and sin lead to? It leads to death. It's the offspring of sin. It always will. Every sin does. He's not talking about death, separation from God and eternity in hell. He's talking to believers here. But what he is referring to is that, that cut off access to God. That broken relationship and favor with God. He's talking about the intimacy with God being hindered. It can result in physical death. Ananias and Sapphira could attest to that. It can result in separation from fellowship and being given over to Satan's power. 1 Corinthians 5 speaks of that. It can result in sorrow, deep sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7 refers to that. It can lead to re-enslavement to sin, powerlessness, and strongholds. Romans 6 and 7 teaches us that. It can lead to sickness. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 30 also tells us this. It can lead to shame and spiritual blindness and rebuke from God. Revelation 3, we find that in the church there. It also can lead to loss of strength, energy, groaning, wasting away, and more. Psalm 32, David illustrates that. See, sin brings spiritual death. Sin brings separation and a rupture to our intimate walk with God. Sin, it kills our joy, it kills our peace, and it kills our contentment all the time, every time. We treat it like it's a stray animal. We treat it, you know, it's, it's just harmless, it's just personal, it's just private. No, it's sin. Until we have the right mindset about it, we're not maturing. Again, you, you may get a degree. You can be a doctor of theology. But you're not a servant of Christ. You're not understanding discipleship and walking with Him and knowing Him until we have the right mindset. I want us to take our Bibles now and go over to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And let's look at an example, a real life example that God gives us in the life of David. 
2 Samuel chapter 11. We see a man who is very intimate with God and we benefit from his writings and his understanding. We see a man here who lost his intimacy with God. The church of Ephesus also provides for us, I think as a corporate example of what, what it's like to disturb the Lord in this matter of our intimacy. In Revelation chapter number 2, the Lord Jesus, He had given some glowing compliments to the church, maybe for their orthodoxy, maybe it's their doctrinal stability, also for their patience, their endurance. But He went on to say that He had an issue with them. He took issue with His church. And He said, because you've left your first love. Maybe they got busy. You're here. It gets busy. But there's a design to that. Busyness is not the problem. It's just we have to have the right mindset in the midst of it. And by the way, you think this is busy. You, you have no control over your schedule while here. Let me remind you, if you're going into ministry, I have yet to find anybody that checks with me before they go into the hospital. They usually don't line it up with my calendar. People don't die on my schedule. You, you don't schedule those things. And if you don't recognize that the inconveniences that God gives you while here are going to translate into helping you work with people who need you to connect them to Jesus out there, you're missing the point of ministry. Perhaps the church of Ephesus, it was their love for Christ that had been stifled in the midst of their activity. We look here in 2 Samuel 11. David. David was a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14 tells us. And Acts 13, verse 22 tells us that as well. A man after God's own heart. Notice in verse number 1, And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. David. He's a man after God's own heart. He displayed tremendous intimacy with God. His writings in the psalm describe his heart of love and worship that demonstrate a genuine, a real walk with God. His walk with God existed even with great trials and tragedy in his life. Even while he's being pursued and attacked by his enemies, he's going through discouragement and he still maintained a confidence in God that allowed him to experience victory and fellowship with God. But would you understand, as we're reading this, notice verse number two, and it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam? the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers and took her and she came in unto him and he lay with her for she was purified from her uncleanness and she returned unto her house and the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Hear me tonight. Intimacy with God is a very, very fragile thing. And it must be carefully guarded. David is in a dark time here in his life. David is facing one of the lowest times. And David is a personal individual example concerning the need for having a right mindset about sin and the need for understanding just how fragile one's intimacy is with God. This is a dark chapter and the Bible doesn't leave it out. I'm told that when Alexander the Great who conquered the known world was having his portrait made that the painter told him to hold his hand in a certain way as to hide the scar that was on his face. And so he did. And he was painted without the scar being shown. But the Bible doesn't do that. 
God lets us see this deep, ugly, tragic, sinful scar on the life of David. So as to help somebody here tonight. Falling out of love with Jesus is as critical day and is as much of a concern to our God as it's ever been. Again, intimacy with God is a very fragile thing. It must be carefully guarded. Too often we can look at David's unexpected, seemingly abrupt change in transition from his devotion and commitment to this great wickedness and shame so that it's almost unbelievable. But that is only because we've yet to realize perhaps the depths of our own heart and the the need for examining our own lives and understanding that none of us, none of us are excluded or exempt from losing intimacy with God. No one, including David, ever falls into sin suddenly. David did not fall into sin. No one just woke up and fell into sin. Always the groundwork is always laid for departure from a walk and intimacy with God. And you're here. Maybe someone has come to you and challenged you. Something's just not right. Something's different. And anytime there's just a, a defensiveness, maybe, maybe you're blindsided by it. Maybe you're taken off guard. But if after recovering, you don't understand and recognize the need to be sober about this because if David, if David can blow it, if David can lose, if David can, can uh, uh, fail in, in maintaining the intimacy with his God, who do we think we are? The story of David and Bathsheba, in many ways, it's a watershed event in the life of King David. He's here at the zenith of his reign as king. He's been king for approximately 20 years. He's probably about 50 years old. He has plenty of money. He has enough praise from the people. He has everything that a person could desire. He's at a most difficult and most dangerous period of his life because he's able to maybe take a breath and enjoy. Listen, the devil knows when he can talk to you. The devil knows when he can distract you. Uh, for example, are, are, you, are you awake? Are you listening? Wake up. Can you slap the person next to them, make sure they're awake? And just do that for a moment. <clears throat> there are certain times, and, and I'm, not, I'm not putting the devil to the test, but I just know there are certain times I'm not going to be uh, as prone to being tempted, one of which would be right before I'm preaching. It's because I'm pretty focused. I'll tell you, a dangerous time for me is when I'm done preaching. You know, I can loosen up a little bit. I'm not as uh, uh, in, filled with anticipation or, or there's no anxiety there and, and just, whew. Whether you're going through getting ready to minister, or going through a heavy spell of ministry and intense, or you're going through just a stressful time and you get to a point where you can take your breath, if you're not guarding your heart, you're prone to lose that intimacy with God. Remember, the devil's been at this hunting and fishing expedition for several thousands of years. He knows what he's doing. Times you really have to watch out in your life is when you think you have it made. When you've arrived, you're getting ready just to enjoy the good things. I personally think David was a humble man. He was not a man to push himself to the front. He was appointed and anointed king over Israel and he still waited for God's time to be inaugurated. He knew how to take care of the sheep on the backside of the desert. Though he was actually a gifted and wonderful man, even after his anointing, he went back to taking care of the sheep. I'm saying, I believe David was a humble man. I think David was a great man of character. I don't think he was a sloppy man. I don't think he was a man who cut corners in life. I believe he was a humble man. And those are the men who experience the, the, uh, the, the closeness with God. 
that those are the ones who experience reviving. But I also think he was a man of character. When his arch enemy Saul was in a very vulnerable position where he could have, David could have killed Saul. And everybody said, you have a right to do so. Because Saul was seeking to kill David. He could have justified it as self-defense. David said, I'm not going to stretch forth my hand against God's anointed. Why? I just think David was a man of character. He was a man that was ethical. And yet, yet, David committed a horrible, hateful, heinous, egregious sin against Almighty God. So therefore, we need to see how it happened. Why it happened. We need to be forewarned because, listen, listen tonight. David was a great man. He loved God. And yet he finds himself in sin that he can't get untangled. He can't stop it. He can't stop its growth. You don't love God better than David, I dare say. You're not more gifted than David. You don't have greater knowledge than David had. And maybe there are those in here. I'm saying if we're going to say, but that's David, that's not me. It's, it's true we live on the, this side of Calvary, but David had an intimate walk with Almighty God. And the point that I'm making is, is if you think that you're different, remember, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You say, well, what are you getting at? What I'm getting at is, if we don't get serious, if we don't get stirred, if we don't get to a point of recognizing, we always have to be on guard. I'm not talking about looking for the devil around every corner and under every rock. I'm talking about staying in a place of looking for God around every corner and looking for God under every opportunity, looking for God, that relationship and that encounter with God. I don't want to miss that encounter with God. I don't want to do my devotions. I want to have my time with Him. We've got to guard that. You say, well, I'm pretty strong in the Lord. So is David. Oswald Chambers said, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. So we can learn here. We can learn from David when he was walking with God. We can learn from David as a backslider. He got out of fellowship with God. And as a result, he gets into sin. I think one of the reasons we see in verse number 1, the Bible tells us the kings went to battle and David stayed home. David was a king. It meant that the harvest time was over when the kings went forth to war. And it was battle time. It's time to battle. There are battles to be fought. David is not doing anything necessarily wrong. He's not doing, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not stay home. He's just not where he ought to be. I think what will lead us into losing intimacy with God is when we get casual. We get casual about the things of God. We get casual about the things of the heart. We, we get casual. David was a king. He should have been on the battlefield. His sin was really a sin of omission, not outwardly, blatantly, arrogantly doing that which is wrong, but failing to do what he's supposed to be doing. He tarried still at Jerusalem. He forsook his duty. If you're failing to do what God would have you to do, it's going to be easier for you to do what God says not to do. If you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, it's going to be easier to do what God says you're not supposed to be doing. Think about Jesus telling his disciples. He's telling them there's a battle that's raging. He says, my soul is heavy. My heart is heavy. And he asks these three, would you pray with me? And, and he tells them the battle, the battle 
is, is not necessarily on the outside. It's on the inside. You need to pray. You know the story. Jesus goes and he prays. Jesus, the head of the church, is inviting and asking people to pray with him. But he's telling them, you need this. And he comes back and what does he find? He finds them doing what some of you are doing tonight. Sleeping. You say, well, you understand it's so cold outside. Oh, I understand. I've been praying for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am so excited about it being cold up here. I don't have to live here. So I'm, I'm fine with this. It's been so warm down in Georgia. It's just you can't have Christmas um, when it's 70 degrees. It just doesn't work. So I think that we need to be able to move Christmas until it gets colder. And so we're just, we're going to. I've said to the church, we're leaving the Christmas trees up until it snows. And, and uh, right now we're on a three-year um, uh, little barrenness there. But So I said, I'm going to Wisconsin. We're going to enjoy it up there. I'm going to find I found it's out there. It's, it's cold. I think it's too cold to snow. It may be the problem. But I see it out there, and that's a blessing. I, I enjoy that. I know you get in here, it gets warm. But I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how warm. I don't care how long you've worked. I really don't care how tired you are. I really don't. You see, I don't really care. Because I'm telling you what Jesus is, is telling his disciples is that there's a battle. And if you don't see, listen, if you're driving and you fall asleep, it's pretty dangerous. But Jesus is driving and it's pretty serious. You say, you don't know what I did today. I'm telling you what God is saying tonight. And the fact that you can get cozy sitting there. It's been a long time, but, but it's, it's probably due. It wouldn't be a bad time to chuck a hymnal at somebody if it'll wake you up. Because I'm telling you, David never set off and said, you know, I think I'm going to get to about middle age and after I've gotten through all that, that I'm here for and all the training and just enjoy and be able to, to mess around with another man's wife and, 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 and experience all that heartache. You know, I've con I, I, I overcame with God's help a giant and I overcame with God's help different uh, nations of people and uh, with God's help I can get through that as well. No, that wasn't his attitude he never said I'm going to do this he never said I'm going he never planned it what he did do however was he got somewhere to a point in his life where he got careless he got casual about the things of God you gotten casual I mean when we come to church we ought to be coming to church sometimes we're and when we, when, how long has he been going? When are we getting done? We don't come to church to get done. We come to church to get in. You get so casual. Well, you know, I, I, was, I wasn't preaching. That was just teaching. We get casual. Is your Bible used in class? And don't get casual. It's not okay. Listen, help each other. It's not okay to be sleeping. When, when, well, well, you just think about it. What happened to the three that were sleeping? And Jesus said, what? Can you not watch with me? Listen, if they knew what Jesus was trying to tell them, and you can't say that Jesus is a bad teacher, a bad preacher. He just doesn't know how to communicate. No, I think he put a book together for us. He knows how to communicate. The problem is they got so casual with God that they didn't hear it. They didn't get it. They didn't see it. Have you gotten casual? Let me ask you, how did Christmas break go? Well, you know, it's just our family doesn't have the same TV policy as we have here at college. You know, you know and I don't want to offend my family. James told us, stop blaming. If you looked at junk, it wasn't because of your family. You looked at junk because of you. You got casual. Well, I just wanted to sleep. And there's nothing wrong with sleeping when you can sleep. But there is a problem of not being where you ought to be and doing what you ought to do to protect and guard your heart. In fact, there are some of you, I dare say, that maybe was looking forward to go home so you could watch some things and see some things and hear some things and do some things that you otherwise could not do. And you come back and you don't have the fire. We were burning some things out in the backyard the other night and it was wet. It had rained and so the leaves were wet. And so I'm going to try to burn 
burn anyway. And um, we're trying to get it going. And once I get it going and put some more leaves that I could find somewhere that were dry, it, it'd get going. We'd watch that for a little bit. And then it would go out. And I just said to Priscilla, and, uh, and I said, my fire's going out again. And she said, well, lighter again. God used that to help me see why can't we do the same thing in our relationship with him? The fire goes out. Then let's light her again. Let's, if we got a little casual and we, we, we overlooked what was happening, Let's just get the lighter back out. Let's put some stuff back on there that's flammable because this matter of our intimacy with God, it's too fragile. It's too important. It's too big a deal. You're being helped. You're being taught. You're being, you, you've got one of the greatest, I'm telling you, the greatest environments and you can hear that every day of your life and you're not going to recognize that. You're not going to understand that until years later. But you don't want to have to be in David's shoes after this great departure and failure to see, oh, man, I was hearing it. Oh, I knew it. But I just did not take care of it like I should have. He was casual. He needed to be in battle. There's a battle going on. I think he's a mature man. I think David is now a battle-scarred veteran. Maybe David said, I've done my time on the battlefield. I fought my battles. I just need a little R&R. I just need a little rest. I need a little bit of relaxation. Isn't that exactly what we think over Christmas break? I want to talk to some of you older ones in just a moment, for just a moment here. Maybe if there's some older deacons, some older veteran Sunday school teachers, some of you long-time Falls Baptist members. Don't ever for a moment think that you've done your service for Jesus and now you can retire from God. Never is there a time where you can quit. Oh, you can retire from your job. You retire from your job, that just simply means you have more time to serve Jesus. We were just talking about Julia Hawkins. Anyone hear about her in the news in the last couple months? Excuse me, Julia Hurricane Hawkins, the retired Louisiana teacher who just became the first female track and field athlete in the world to set a world record at the 100-meter dash, she ran it in just 100 meters, in just a little over one minute because she's 105 years old. Yeah. And if she can run on a track at 105, then what excuse do we have? And she wasn't the only 105-year-old. There was a 105-year-old that was also from Japan that was a sprinter and then a Polish runner and discus hurler, a 105-year-old. You need to press the battle to the gates. You need to keep the fire burning in your heart and in your soul as long as you live. They're putting amen right there, right there, amen. And don't you ever get the idea that you can get casual about this thing of serving the Lord and that you can just coast on into heaven. Paul says, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. But not only was he casual, but then notice he also became careless. He got careless. As a matter of fact, I think David forgot his own advice that he himself had written in Psalm 101. Verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. We'll have some times in our life when everything's going just fine. You don't feel any unusual temptation, solicitation to evil, no allurement. You feel that you're a senior citizen in the kingdom of heaven. You've earned your stripes. You have your scars. You're just going to take it easy and cease doing with, with uh, diligence and, 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 and devotion like you once had. And Jesus says you better watch and pray. You watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Yeah, he got careless. 
But then that casualness and carelessness leads to a compulsiveness. I still don't think he intended to. I don't think he woke up in the morning and and said, well, I think I'll see if I can find a woman today other than my wife. I don't think it just happened. In 2 Samuel verse 2 here, chapter 11, and it came to pass in an evening tide. David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. From the roof he saw a woman. It was at nighttime, the Bible says. David arose from off his bed and went to this roof house. It would have been suggested to be the coolest place to go in all the house. And the Bible says that from the rooftop he saw this beautiful woman. And David's repeated look, it kindled lust in his heart. And in a fatal moment, he forfeited his intimacy with God. For momentary gratification, he sacrificed fellowship with God. Maybe a relationship hasn't worked out. And you think you you deserve it. Maybe things didn't go well when you were at home. And you think you deserve just a little bit of me time. You let your guard down. As we heard Pastor Shaver preach this morning, our sufficiency is never in ourselves. It's in God in the first place and in the last place. And anytime you get to the point where you think, in fact, James is going to hit it pretty hard. The problem is always self. There he is. He's casual. He's careless. He walks over and he looks and there she is. Sin. Sin has been said to be an undetected weakness. Sin is an unexpected opportunity. Sin is an unprotected life. It's an undetected weakness. It's an unexpected opportunity. It's an unprotected life. And David said, get her for me. Why? Because when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it's always going to rob you of that intimacy with God. And it's serious. It's a warning to us all. David's dark, sinful stain makes clear the possibility of even the greatest of God's people experiencing defection, even in maturity, in mature years. In just a moment, you can compromise the achievements of a lifetime. But it can happen right here. No one ever notices. No one sees it. But the one who is seeking intimacy with you, the one who loves you, the one who died for you, the one who deserves it, God sees and God knows. David did everything he could to cover. What you and I cover, God will uncover. What you let God cover, you can't uncover. Church history is littered with stories of so many tragedies that have the same ingredients. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it always results in death. David, in verse 2, he saw. In verse 3, he sent. In verse 4, he took. You see it in the Garden of Eden. The same thing. She saw, they sent, and they took. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it always results in death. Sin is the story of us doing what we want to do, disregarding what God tells us to do, and disregarding the effects of the aftermath on the lives of other people when we sin. You know, there are three people sitting where you are. You say, well, that explains why it's so crowded in here where I'm sitting on my row. There's the person that you are at this very moment. God sees it and God knows it. There's the person that you could be for God if you totally sell out to Him. And there's the man, the woman that you could be if you don't guard the intimacy with God. You say, well, it couldn't happen to me. David would have said that as well. 
But here he compulsively falls into sin, seemingly, but he had laid the groundwork to get him there. Remember what Chambers said, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. And then what happens? He goes from being casual to careless to compulsive. He then becomes callous. And David covers, and he covers, and he tries to hide it. And for at least a year out of fellowship with God, he put Uriah on the front lines and pulled everyone else back to leave him out there. Why? Because then no one would know that Uriah had not had relations with his wife. No one would know that the baby that's been conceived is not Uriah's child. And that's how David followed on those difficult steps of callousness. Can you imagine this? This is not David. This isn't David, but it is David. It's David who did not guard and protect the intimacy with God. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, that was terrible. That's wicked. But now, cold-blooded murder, David has to think through this. He has to connive. He has to do everything that he never imagined he would do. David has to say, how can I do it? How can I cover my own vile sin, even at the cost of a good man's life? And if any of us sit here and say, we would never. I believe the devil says, I've got this one. I've got this one. Because every single one of us can and would, if under the same provocation, if we don't guard and protect our intimacy with God. The Bible warns us how our sin can harden our heart. And we need to take it serious. We need the right mindset about sin. I want to say again, it is a big deal what you've been looking at. You come back and you think maybe you're just, you're on break. It's kind of halftime. It wasn't the real game. It wasn't the real issue. No, it wasn't the issue. And you want to go on and see God develop the, the maturity. You want to see God develop you. You want God to prepare you for the ministry. God's preparing a ministry for you, but he's got to prepare you for that ministry. And if you want God to be able to do in your life what he's longing to do because you have a God who loves you, he's good, he will only be good to you, but you're going to have to recognize When I crossed that line and sin entered in, yes, it's something I need to get right with God. But this matter of confession, if we treat it as something that is very um, insignificant, don't want anybody to know, I don't want to disappoint anybody, I don't want to, what's going to happen is it's going to cause and create and cultivate and nurture within us this mindset I can do it again. I can do it again. As long as no one sees, as long as no one knows, as long as no one hurt, is hurt, as long as the team for God is not penalized by it, no big deal. No, it's always a big deal. In 1 John 1, 9, you know, is to confess our sin. To confess doesn't mean we ought to say, God, I've sinned. Too many times we come to an altar, God, I have sinned. Judas Iscariot said those words, I have sinned. He's in hell tonight. Saul said those exact same words, I have sinned. Then he committed suicide. Achan said, I have sinned. They stoned him to death. Saying the words, I have sinned, is not dealing with sin. Dealing with sin is when you're willing to deal with sin. And 1 John 1, 9 is repentance. It is changing your mind. It's getting to God's side on this matter of sin. In other words, it's saying, God, I take your side against my side. I agree with you, disagree with me. You're going to take sides tonight. You're going to take God's side. You're going to stay on your side when it comes to this matter. I'm telling you what, what no, David's telling us. God is telling us. James is telling us our relationship with God is such a fragile thing. It's a powerful thing, but it's still fragile. And what sin is there in our life 
You say, I've already confessed, I've already dealt with it. But God may be saying to you, you're getting too casual. You need to unload the truck with somebody tonight. No wonder some are just sleeping through things because maybe you've gotten so accustomed to just, I just take care of it my way. And maybe the callousness is setting in so it doesn't even bother you. What are you going to do about it tonight?